Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, first straight in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia Roots 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Time now for our call of the day. Vivian Stringer, one of the greats of all time. I know her brother-in-law, who's Rick, who lives here in State College, as a matter of fact. Last night, win number 1,000. See Vivian Stringer is the newest member of the 1,000 Win Club. The sixth one to do it in women's basketball history. And the fifth at the Division I level. Remember when Vivian Stringer was coaching at Cheney State? As a matter of fact. In fact, you know who the coaches were at Cheney State at one point? Coaches at Cheney State at one point on the women's side, Vivian Stringer, and on the men's side, John Cheney. Okay. Very pleased. CEO, invite manager, good friend of the show, and uh person I can't talk to often enough, Tony Knott. Tony, welcome back. It is great to hear you. Great to be back. Hope you guys are doing well with the uh, snow on the way. Well, we're going to find out because I'm about to go to Chicago for a game Thursday night, and the whole key is me getting back in time to make the bus to go to Rutgers. <laughs> the two I was checking the weather in Chicago this morning. I think it's in the 20s, right? It's going to be uh, yeah. it's going to be a chilly one. Yeah, it'll be a chilly one. The question will be getting back in here with the snow. All right. Last uh, time we were on together, you said, Steve, we need to talk about the expansion of the college football playoff. Oh, Money is going to dictate all of this in the end. Yeah. It doesn't take a genius to know that. What are you hearing from people who are involved corporately with CFP that have their money invested in it, and, and what direction would they like to see it be? They can't get enough money into college football right now. I mean, when you're talking about um, baseballs dropping off and losing some uh, sponsors and losing some attendance, and you're talking about you know the rise of the MLS and the NFL trying to maintain its its perch atop you know everything, what gets lost in the shuffle amongst the corporate sponsors is college uh, football. And college football is as healthy as it's ever been, and not only is it as healthy as it's ever been, it's actually a little bit in the Stone Age still in the way that it's run on the business side. So. There are sponsors lining up to get involved, uh, even with conferences that are struggling. You know, the Pac-12 conference out here is not doing well. They are not getting the national coverage they need. They're not on the big channels enough. The Pac-12 network's basically been an abject failure, and they signed up seven new sponsors last week. So there is a lot of pressure from the sponsors and a lot of pressure from the major players to drive more teams in the college football playoff. Let me give you a quick example that the listeners might find interesting. One of our major sponsors uh, is Dr. Pepper Snapple Group, uh, or one of our major customers, and they're a major sponsor of the CFP and of the SEC championship game. And, you know, they've got a lot riding on the teams that make that game and planning around them. And so they were objectively rooting for Alabama uh, when they were playing LSU two weeks ago because a lot of the plans they have to make are in advance and they have to plan around the favorites. If you expand the field, so now we can get two SEC teams in and maybe two teams from other conferences. It makes it easier for them to plan. And they're the ones writing the checks. So it's, it's not an if, it's a when. 
And it's not a, is it going to be six teams? It's, is it going to be eight or 16 teams? Wow. It's either eight or 16. It's not six. It's going to be eight or 16. Yeah. I think we're eventually going to end up at 16. I really do. Okay. So that brings to the next part. As, as an entity, they have money. Money can then exert pressure. Are the people you talk with, are they in the mood to put pressure, and do they have the ability to put pressure? They have some ability. You know, the interesting thing about football, as opposed to college football, as opposed to some of the other sports, is it's so um, broken out. There's so many different power brokers that really there's not a central entity to put a lot of pressure on, which makes it more difficult to get what you want. Um, We talk a lot about how dollars and cents drive more than people think. Like, for instance, why would Kevin Durant go to the Warriors? Well, because Nike gave him a massive check to do that because the Warriors were a a billboard for Under Armour at the time. You had a singular place to put pressure and a singular place to take your money and and, and pressure that. You don't really have that in college football. You have all these different conferences that are working together, but they're always threatening one another, and they're making different dollars, right? If you're the Big Ten, you know, you've got a pretty good network going that's making you money, that's getting you the exposure. If you're the SEC, you've got a wonderful deal with CBS. If you're the Pac-12, you're a little weak right now. If you're the ACC, you're a little weak right now. So they'll want to put pressure on, but who do they put the pressure on? They can only put it on the conferences. All right. Well, can they put it on? Because the college football playoff is a separate business yes. entity. They are the college football mm-hmm. playoff incorporated. Mm-hmm. Is it possible to target them, or is it something where they absolutely need conference approval to do it? I think they need conference approval because they're you okay. know you're going to water down the bowl games uh, even more when you expand to six, eight, sixteen. Um, I, I think it's a foregone conclusion that they're going to go there, and that it's going to come from the corporate dollars and where those corporate dollars want to put their money. Um, just because if you look at the sponsorship rates of March Madness and how well that does. It's exponentially better than college basketball does throughout the year. Whereas right. the CFP does well, but it doesn't do exponentially better than, you know, every game matters throughout the season. I think they're looking at the money that goes into March Madness and, and starting to understand that this is something that needs to be expanded. All right. Uh, you mentioned watering down bowl games. There are 40 of them. Last year of the 40, which includes the college football playoff, 39 of them have one thing in common. They all had more than a million viewers. Yep. You have a lot of people saying, oh, there are too many bowl games, too many bowl games. (laughs) But if you're in a business, I mean, I realize attendance-wise it's shaky, but if you're a business, you have to love the million-plus viewers with your logo in the field. Oh, that's all they're doing. I mean, the reality is most of these sponsors, you can find, if you go and look at the bowl registry for this year, there was a number of them last year that was really interesting. You'll find people who are sponsoring a bowl game that's nowhere close to where their business is, and there are no customers in the area for that business, right? The Bahamas Bowl being sponsored by an auto manufacturer that's in, you know, South Carolina who's trying to sell to people in Texas. But that's the reality is people are tuning in because gamblers are tuning in because they need something to watch, and it's still live TV. So, you know, we're not far off. It's already happening from basically playing bowl games in what's almost like a studio. I mean, these these uh, these bowl games are they're sets, so to speak, for a game to play where you have, you know, anywhere from I mean, there's bowl games that you've seen where there's 3,000 to 14,000 people in the stands and they're handing out tickets to anybody that'll go. And it doesn't matter. People look at that and say, what a waste. Nobody should go, et cetera, et cetera. But the exposure makes sense. The ratings are better than almost anything else on TV at that time. 
and that'll continue to that'll continue to go. Those bowls don't really care about the CFP, right? They they've got a good right. business going. They've got it figured out. They got a couple of sponsors here and there. They're slapping a logo there. The ones that are really worried about it are the traditional bowls. You know, the rose, the the cotton, the orange, et cetera, because right. what you're doing is you're relegating them year over year. And, you know, they've already been relegated by the CFP. I know they're hoping to continue to have the same pomp and circumstance, but not having the final at one of them has hurt them. And I think, you you know, you move to 16, you might be rele- relegating a few into what right. is called a quarterfinal round, and that's that's a tough pill to swallow. Yet, if you do do that, Tony, let's just let's say there's a quarterfinal round, because that means there would be eight. So let's just go with the eight, mm-hmm. okay? Now you can, in a rotating basis, put one-and-done meeting to the Cotton Bowl, one-and-done meeting to the Peach Bowl, one-and-done meeting to the Fiesta Bowl, one-and-done meeting to the Orange Bowl, then a semifinal one-and-done meeting to the Sugar and to the Rose. By doing a one-and-done meeting to the game, wouldn't that be the draw that could then make up for you're not really an also ran because you'd rotate as to get the semifinals and so forth. Absolutely. You already have I don't, first of all, I'm, I'm a little bit of a homer that I think the Rose Bowl should be the national championship every year. To be frank with you, Tony, I'm absolutely in agree with that. I mean, yeah. to me, the Rose Bowl should be the national championship game every year, but that's just my opinion. It's got the most history. It's the best experience. It's everything about it. Um, mm-hmm. No, I would, I would 100% agree, and, and that would bring back some of the values of the Bulls that really struggled. You know, uh, the Orange Bowl has really struggled, too, in the last four years. It, it has. Uh, really struggled. Um, you know, the Cotton Bowl, if they're not getting a good setup, they don't do well selling tickets. It's not like the only bowl that's really holding itself together, no matter who's in it, is the Rose Bowl. It's selling out every year. Uh, but the other bowls are hurt by this. So it would add – it would it would help to have a one-and-done meaning to that. It's just to have your quarterfinal years. You just don't – you know, there's going to be – there's going to be a little bit of a contest between some of the other bowls as to who gets who gets what, when, and where. What has made college football a hot buy? I mean, you talked about it's you know it's a hot buy. The NFL is is, is obvious, but what's made college football a hot buy and and a hot commodity? Even though Cincinnati and <laughs> and Central Florida are playing in the primetime game on Saturday, you and I both know it's not going to draw anybody. <laughs> um. I'll, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, college football is become <laughs> such a hot buy because of the transient nature of sports in general. We've seen a big change in the NFL and the NBA where people are following players, not teams, like they used to. Um, the NFL is still doing well with team affinity, uh, but the NBA is not, and they've moved away from that model, and that's what's made them successful. Right? They're, they're marketing the stars. Uh, so you can follow your favorite player wherever they're going to go. As we're more and more rooting for laundry, where there is less, um, there's less loyalty to a brand, college football never changes, right? It's always been the case that the kids were only there for three to four years at most. And it's also something that creates a tribal nature and a local nature for everybody, big market and small. And the, and the brands and the, and the uh, companies, they see that. There's, there's no sport out there. And, you know, there's not a lot of things I could talk about as an expert on, but I can talk about an expert on the secondary market. I've been there from the very right. beginning. Yep. Nothing fluctuates price like college football. Nothing. When you get LSU Bama as you know a top four team meeting meeting each other. When you get Penn State Ohio State at the shoe and you know the the postseason's on the line, you will see prices that are exorbitantly higher than any other sport will have in any circumstance. I mean, those games will outprice the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series for the first time in 100 years, and they do, and they do it every year. That's why it's so popular. Now, UCF, I was in the same boat, and I actually went to a UCF game last year. Uh, somebody bet me that I would be 
taken aback by the experience, and it was not what I expected. They have quite a game day experience there. They've got right. a whole downtown tailgate built out. It's uh, I mean, it's not Big Ten country, but they're building something. But uh, yeah, it's not. It's a draw. brand new stadium like, too. That stadium's less than ten years old. Supposedly, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cincinnati. I, I can't speak to Cincinnati having any <laughs> no. any fuel to anybody. <laughs> and I mean, even in Cincinnati, I mean, the Bengals, you know, make people frustrated. But I mean, Cincinnati Bearcat footballs on page twelve. It is, and, and they had Tommy Tuberville last year, and they still weren't on page ten. Right. So, let me get to a Los Angeles part for a moment. What has the Rams' success, and I can't factor in the Chargers at all because they're, they're, they're a non-entity there. I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. What has mm-hmm. the Rams' success done to USC? Uh, it, it, you know, it hasn't changed that much. USC is a super finicky uh, fan base where the minute the team is eliminated, the crowds drop by 20 to 25%. Okay. Um, it hasn't had as much of an effect. And quite, quite honestly, I think people from outside would be a little bit surprised at how little we hear about the Rams in Los Angeles, considering they're one of the best teams in football right now. Um, you know, the game day experience for the Rams is not very good. Um, it, they need to get into their new stadium relatively quickly. But the bigger story is just going to be what the Chargers end up doing. I mean, the team's 7-2, and two and they can't get people to they – can't, they can't sell 25,000 tickets. I mean, Penn State sells 25,000 tickets for the spring game. So yeah. it, it's, it's just been – Fascinating to watch. I, I, I sense the the answer to this is no. But is there any way the Chargers would ever move back to San Diego? No, they won't. They won't go back. To, so what people don't understand from from the outside, and it's good to hear, San Diego is you know because people think California and they think and, and careful. I'm going to talk politics here for a second, but they think California and they think it's a very very blue state. San Diego is actually a very very red community, and yes, it is. they have been notorious that they do not pay for sports facilities. Um, for the Padres to get Petco Park, they almost lost the Padres. There's no way that that community is going to vote that through. In fact, they just voted down a ballot measure to convert um, the Chargers' old stadium into a stadium that could host uh, an MLS team. Instead, what they're going to do is what they call SBSU West, so the San Diego State University Campus West, and they're going to try to expand the stadium there so that it can host uh, an MLS team even though you and I both know the next two MLS teams are going to Austin and, and to uh, Colorado, but, uh, or Missouri. Um, that's what they're trying to do down there. There's just no way for the Chargers to go back. And, and they are lost in Los Angeles. There is, there's no answer in Los Angeles. It's people do not care. Okay, the Rams are obviously a highly entertaining team. Kansas City's mm-hmm. going to take on the Rams. What was the purpose of putting that game originally in Mexico City in terms of the financial part of it? And what about moving it back to Los Angeles? Uh, well, the number one problem was the Rams' attendance last year wasn't the best when they made the decision to put those two teams down here this year. Um, so you look at the Rams now, and they're doing pretty well. They're averaging. So what they've done is they've actually cut attendance in the Coliseum by 20,000. They put up right. tarps so that they can announce a sellout when it's 75,000 people. Uh, and even at that rate, last year they weren't selling out games. So I think the NFL looked at it and said, hey, listen, we got to move. We, we need to have a game in Mexico City. We need to have two big draws. Let's put the Rams in the – and generally they ship, you know, the Jaguars to places in those situations. Last year was the Raiders. Um, the Rams are just one of those B-side teams right now that they can move around. So okay. they moved them down there. The field, um, they actually canceled the game yesterday. The rumors had started that they were going to cancel the game four or five days ago. Uh, what's generally happened in the past when they cancel games is they give tickets away 
for the new game. What the Rams actually did was go and invoice everybody for the game immediately, all their season ticket holders. And it drew a huge backlash because a lot of the season ticket holders have already bought their tickets to Mexico City. And none of the travel is going to be, um, none of the travel is going to be uh, paid back. And this is not the first time this has happened. And the guy who sued the league last time was Michael Avenatti, who's making a ton of uh, (laughs) headlines for himself on the political side now. Right. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, so far we've worked in Red State and we've worked in Michael Avenatti. Michael Avenatti. And we've stayed Uh, out of trouble. (laughs) And so far we've stayed out of trouble. Uh, okay, I know what the NFL wants to do, Tony. Uh, they want to, the goal, and Roger Goodell's been open about this, he wants it to be a $25 billion industry. And $25 billion, I believe, is the number he has stated. They're right mm-hmm. around $14, 15000000000 billion right now. So obviously the avenue to get there is uh, uh, the international one. Yep. Uh, so they have some games in London, this game in Mexico. Is the NFL doing a good enough job in the corporate structure of this company with its sponsors of making sure that the current markets they have in this country are strong enough to have the games? I think so currently. What they're really leaning on right now is ratings. Um, If you talk to anybody at the NFL, they're going to say ratings, 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 ratings. They almost don't even care about the attendance because uh, what most people don't understand is when you report attendance on the NFL side, you don't report premium attendance. So... um, and you don't have to count those as sellouts. So, for example, if you're Jerry Jones and you have 300 suites at uh, AT&T Stadium, all of those people in those suites don't get accounted towards a sellout or not, and they don't get okay. accounted towards attendance or not. So the number, the attendance numbers are relatively wonky when you're talking to sponsors, but what they are talking about is ratings. And the NFL is all 10 of the highest-rating events uh, on television every year, that's, that's and they right. know that. Um, so what they're trying to do is find a way for a soft landing into London and Mexico City. Uh, London makes a lot of sense because Khan owns uh, the team over there already, Fulham, the soccer club. And right. he has put in a bid to buy Wembley, which he's pulled out of in the last month, but nobody actually believes he's pulling out of that bid. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the belief is that he's eventually going to buy Wembley Stadium. And it's oh, I thought be that was a negotiating ploy, play. actually. What's that? I thought that was a negotiating ploy by him, All the way. actually. 100%. 100% of negotiating play. So I think that's where the soft landing is going to be. I think they're doing a pretty good job with their corporate sponsors about getting that traction. Um, the, the difference is it's just doing business with corporate partners in Europe is so much different than it is with uh, American and North American sponsors. The NBA has done a really good job of integrating the European basketball leagues. And eventually those will, I think we'll see them grow the way the UFC has grown, where they actually acquire other leagues. If I had to bet, I think that's what's going to happen. They're going to, they're going to have the G League here. They're going to have developmental leagues in Europe, which are eventually going to roll into you know professional clubs. So that's where I think we're headed. The NFL's battle is there, there are no clubs that have really any reach whatsoever in Europe or in Mexico, and they're going to try to plant them there. Right. Um, and, yeah, you mentioned the G League and so forth. I mean, that's almost like the next avenue where you can uh, have your control over your own professional minor league and sell it as if it's a it's a, a pathway to big league. Maybe the Alliance mm-hmm. of American Football is that. Maybe um, you know you've got that, and you've got the XFL coming as well. So yeah. you're going to have you know competition, so to speak, here in the states. But these are minor leagues that are playing at a different time than the NFL, and it's not expanding. 
so you have a saturated market that you're just trying to catch on to, you know, the sides of, as opposed to, and I mean, it's like the USFL, remember that back in the 80s. But um, it, it's a little bit different when you're talking about European, European expansion and South American, or Central American expansion. Now, obviously, coming up, Phil and Tiger's a pay-per-view event. We know when Mayweather fights, it's always pay-per-view. That's the way most big boxing matches are. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't realize, like, this weekend's uh, Iowa State-Texas uh, games on Longhorn Network. In the agreement, Oklahoma is allowed to do one pay-per-view game a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this year was against Army. Is that a potential avenue down the road and how would corporate uh, sponsors react to a single pay-per-view event for a, for a football game in a year? I think corporate sponsors will revolt against it, to be totally honest, and here's why. I, I uh, it's about reach. Um, yep. I'll use the example I mentioned earlier, a good segue back to what we were talking about. The Pac-12 network, for example, is considered a relatively healthy uh, regional network, but it's not really. Um, compared to the Big 12 or the Big 10 network, it's, it's peanuts. They get about 20 million reach. Uh, when you're talking about a, a, a primetime game between Oregon and Washington, you get about 20 million viewers, tops, right? If you're playing that game on a Fox affiliate or on an ESPN affiliate, not even in prime time, you're getting 80 million eyes, right? And we're talking about games that are, you know, a lot less um, appealing to people to watch. You know, Fresno State versus Boise State, games like that generally do fairly well. So when you're, try- when you're taking that, that inventory and you're moving it behind a paywall, now what we're doing is we're taking what the corporations are trying to sell to uh, in a demographic, and you're slicing that demographic by a quarter, by by three quarters, right? If I'm trying to sell toilet paper to middle market and below, uh, to the middle class and below, now I'm not going to even try to advertise with that game because they're not going to buy that game. They can't. They don't have the disposable income. My entire value prop is my toilet paper is eight cents cheaper than the next guy's. Right. Right. So it's going to be a real problem, especially when you start talking about the traditional sponsors and the traditional partners. And the final part, Tony, with all the fires out there, in what effect and how close has it been getting to you guys? Because obviously, I mean, my concern would be about you, your family, your employees. It was 160 yards from our home. (laughs) It was right there. uh, And it burned in the parking lot of our office. Uh, Everybody was out in time. Um, You know, it is uh, it, the precision with which they figured these things out is, is quite incredible. Um, yeah. They reached out to us at six o'clock on Thursday night, saying there is a fire 11 miles away that our model show could be on you guys within three hours. You need to leave now, and everybody did. There's there's no um, no hesitation around that, and the fire was there within three hours. Their precision is amazing. They're they're heroes. They know what they're doing. So everybody's safe. Everybody's yeah. healthy. I really appreciate that. And that's we were laughing well, that. Uh, Hopefully it'll be worth it in two months when we're sitting in the sun. <laughs> exactly. I hope you are. Again, yeah. you know, you, you know, we think the world of you. So uh, thanks so much for the time. Hope you and your family are doing great. All the employees are doing great. And from us to you, a well-deserved and happy Thanksgiving. Appreciate it. Hopefully we talk again soon. Oh, we will talk again soon. You know darn well I can't get on the phone quick <laughs> enough to talk with you. You know that. All right. Safe travel. That- hope you get back before the storm. Uh, should be okay. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate it. The outstanding Tony Knopp, CEO Invite Manager. We'll come back bottom of the hour. Time now for an update here on News Radio 1070 WKOK.
SMC is where you want to be for your next new F-150 and everything starting with E. Make 2018 a November to remember with savings up to $13,000 on your next new Ford F-150. Sunbury Motors has F-150 starting at $25,669. All SUVs starting with the letter E will plummet in price for SMC's November to remember. 67 Ford Escapes, 23 EcoSports, 22 Explorers, all at one location. Brand new Ford Escape starting at an unheard of 17820. If you haven't looked into the all new Ford EcoSport, now is the time. 2019 Ford EcoSports start at 19880. SMC has the SUV that started it all, the Ford Explorer, for under 32 grand. Hurry in now to SMC so you can show off your brand new Ford at Thanksgiving dinner or to your buddies at Deer Camp. Sunbury Motors in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Oh, we were just reminiscing about two years ago. And uh, yeah, I remember that story. You were having trouble getting through the gate at the Rutgers game. Well, they they give you in the back of the parking pass the map as to where your parking lot is. Okay. So I'd done the game with Duke. I want to say the game with Duke started at twelve thirty, and I had my car parked in a great spot at Mohegan Sun. Boom! And Jeff Nelson goes with me, and we take off. And you know it's I ninety five on a Saturday, so. You know, the slow down, slow down, slow downs. And some areas you can flow and then slow downs. So we're like, okay. So what I did was uh, I got, I think it was near Norwalk. And I think people uh, probably after all these years know I, know I grew up in Connecticut. So I said, I said, look, I'm going to take the cutoff up here and I'm going to go to the Merritt Parkway. He goes, oh, okay. So I cut off, boom, do the cutoff, get to the Merritt Parkway. I go down and we're fine. And we cross over into New York onto the Hutchinson Parkway. Bring it out over, down the Hudson River, and now we go over the bridge. And we're doing pretty good on time. When I go over the George Washington Bridge, all right, yeah, I went over the GW Bridge. And I slide down 95. And to be honest with you, one of the easiest parts of the trip was the Jersey Turnpike. It was easy. Get to the exit, boom, get off. We go right to the entrance. We're on the air at 630, and I'd like to point out to everybody, we were covered because we had put Joe Putnam in the pregame show spot, and I was actually covered until kickoff, which was eight twelve that night. Now it's six twenty-five, so me being there on time is a big bonus. So uh, Jeff has, has the parking pass, and he's holding the pass, and he says, "Okay, turn here. Okay, come up here. Okay, make a right up here." I said, "Okay, great." Boom! Pull right into the lot. Guard the lot says you can't park here. And uh, Jeff Nelson says, what do you mean we can't park here? This pass says this is where we park. Yeah, I know it does. He says, but he says, he says, but you can't park here. And Jeff says, well, you don't seem to understand. This is the play-by-play announcer for Penn State. He goes, well, I don't care. He says, you can't park here. Right? He says, you're going to have to go all the way around. 
go across the river, go up the Raritan River, go all the way around, and you're going to have to go to the other side and then come in that way. Right? And then he looks over, he says, you don't seem to get it. This is a really big game. And I looked over, I found, I had said nothing to this point, zero. And I looked over, I said, you know what? I do the play-by-play for Penn State. I said, every game Penn State plays in is a big game. I said, I hope you get it. <laughs> and it turned around and they said, we'll go around. It's like, what a rude thing to say. I'm like, you don't get it. Yeah, I get it, buddy. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you watch the Rose Bowl game. Penn State plays in them. I got it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dagger. <All right. laughs> I didn't say that. No. I, I didn't say that. But I'm like, so, so I looked at Jeff. I said, we're okay. I said, I've been to Rutgers so many times with the Atlantic Tennis. I think I know where he's telling us to go. So I go over the river, come all. I mean, when I mean go around, I mean, I mean, Sean, I mean, I had to go down, cross the river, back again, up over the river again, back. I mean, I really, it wasn't as simple as like, hey, just swing around to the other side of the stadium. There was a process to get there. So I get in there and I walked into the booth about, I'd say, like, 646, 647, something like that. So we're 17 minutes into the thing. And, of course, you know those guys. They all had put little wagers on the table with times as to what time I'd get there. <laughs> but, yeah, and it was – and then getting there, the weather's fine because we had a problem with the sun. I mean, the sun was going down, and, like, the Jeff, Jeff Nelson and I were like, whoa, holy mackerel. But then clouds started rolling in once it got dark, and then it starts to rain and a little bit, and then it turns to snow. And the second half, the snow is coming down to beat the band. Jeff ended up going back, Nelson, on the, uh, on the Penn State team bus to State College. And I, of course, had to go back to Mohegan Sun because this was a back-to-back day tournament, so I had a game with Cincinnati the next day on Sunday. And I, you know, I could have stayed overnight at some place and then gone over. And I thought, no, it's best that I make sure I'm back on the property. So I decided I was going to drive all the way back from Piscataway to let's see, I, through the west side of Manhattan. I'm sorry, my apologies. The east side of Manhattan. I was in a snowstorm with very low vil- visibility. And once I got past the east side of Manhattan, it then changed over to a very heavy rain. You know, and I got back to, because it was a night game, obviously, I got back to Mohegan Sun at 3.30 in the morning. I got into my room at 3.30 in the morning. And our game was at noon the next day, something like that. But, yeah, so, I, I mean, I traveled back and forth and did, did the, you know, it was bad, to be honest with you, Actually, no offense. I, th- I found it actually kind of fun. <laughs> I kind of enjoyed it. <laughs> I was like, you know, it's was, it was fun doing basketball with Duke in the afternoon, doing football at night, and then going back and doing basketball the next day and flying back. I mean, I actually kind of had a good time. <laughs> I may have been the only person having a good time, but I did. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know me. I love doing games, so. That's what it's all about. Yeah, so I love doing games. 
So we have uh, some Steelers news. Actually, just got this email uh, from the NFL, and it's regarding Week 13 and Week 14 schedules. Uh, yeah. Week 13, the December 2nd game, and it's funny because uh, I was talking about this with both Kevin and Rob Center earlier this week that this game could possibly be flexed. Uh, yeah. Sunday, December 2nd, the Chargers game at Heinz Field against the Steelers. That was supposed to be a 1 o'clock game on CBS. That has been flexed down to 8.20. That'll be an NBC primetime game on Sunday night, that December the 2nd. It absolutely should be. Absolutely. That should be. The yeah. Chargers are playing great. The Steelers are playing great. That game should be. Uh, the game that was supposed to be at night was supposed to be San Francisco at Seattle. That was supposed to be the nationwide NBC game. That's going to be now a 425 Eastern time game on Fox on there Sunday. Is no, there is no way in the planet anybody wants to see that game. <laughs> and now in week 14, December the 9th, the game between the Los Angeles Rams and the Chicago Bears, that was supposed to be a 1 p.m. game. That has been flexed down to the Sunday night primetime game on NBC. What date's that? That is Sunday, December the 9th. The Pittsburgh Steelers at Oakland Raiders game that was originally scheduled that night for 820, that (laughs) has now been moved to Fox. That'll now be a Fox game, 425 on Sunday, December the 9th. Can't believe they flex this out. Can't do it. I can't do it, man. I'll tell you, everybody wants to see Oakland. Everybody does. I don't get it. Did you hear that? They asked the Chargers players about the fires up in Oakland. Now, nothing about the fires has been funny. Obviously, nothing has. I mean, you've had people die. People have lost property and so forth. But you hear what the Chargers players said about the smoke in the stadium? What did they say? Now, this is a couple players. They said it. They said it kind of drowned out the marijuana smell in the stadium. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was a concern Monday night, too, the game at San Francisco. A lot of people were following that air quality index just to make sure everything was going to be okay. Well, they should have because, I mean, I know when they played in Sacramento, LeBron James said, hey, look, it really bothered me. You know, he said you could smell the smoke in the arena. But you think of all, I mean, the loss of life... Is I mean you can't re- you know you can't replace people you can replace buildings, but you can't replace people. And what forty seven have died so far from this? Who knows how many more have been hurt? You know we always throw a number there about hurt and never think about it much beyond that when we should be thinking very long and hard about hurt. Uh, you know, and then there's property. I mean you know you know. And it's not just, oh, I lost my washer and dryer, I lost my living room, whatever. I mean, damn, people are losing photos, they're losing film, video, things like all the memories that they're losing. I mean, it's just, it's it's awful. And it's incredible how, especially there, for whatever reason, you know, when they talk about wildfire, it travels. And Tony on talking about the precision with which they are now predicting the direction of fires and and how far they can go, and all those firefighters out there. You want to talk about heroes? I was watching somebody who was had a video of driving, and I think it was out of Paradise, California. He's driving on the road and he's behind somebody, and you can see there's a blaze on each side of the road, and this guy is 
he's not screaming at the guy, but he's 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 saying, "Come on, man, go 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 go! Come on, you got to move." <laughs> you know, and can you blame him? I mean, can you blame him? Uh, it, it's it is I, I can't even begin to tell you how heartbroken I am for all of those people out there. And hopefully we can gather together whatever resources we can to help them. So, Yeah, I know you subscribe to The Athletic. There was a story that Matt Gelb did earlier this week regarding Philly's manager, Gabe Kapler, lost his home in Malibu. But the first thing he said, we need to help people that are really, really affected by this. I'm going to be fine. Um, my, my, my former right. spouse and my kids are going to be fine, but this is what we need to do. We need to focus right. on the people who really need the help. People with money have memories, too. People with money love their homes, too. I understand. At least they do have the means and the resources to rebuild. It's the people who are check by check by check by check who, yeah, the insurance will cover some of it, but, I mean, they're the ones that need our help. You know, they don't have the means to do this so I mean look we're thinking about all of them it's, again 47 people have died it's 47 people we're never going to be able to replace ever think of all their families and friends I mean they, they I mean, they, their hearts are just cut out by this it's, it's just unbelievable and the, the heroic firefighters and heroic police and EMTs I mean Volunteers are doing everything they can. The Red Cross, I mean, everybody, Salvation Army, trying to do whatever they can to help these people. You know, and Tony was talking about it. Got within 160 yards of his house. 160 yards of his house. Got to the parking lot of the business before they finally stopped it. Wow. Uh, we're talking about four or five inches of snow here, so. Although I will freely admit that that's also crazy. Four or five inches of snow is crazy on November 15th. Okay, we'll come back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. All right, great to have you with us. Uh, Closing it out. Tomorrow's show is in Chicago. Nobody knows where Friday's show is. <laughs> I have no idea how and when we're getting back. So, and I never, I ne- it never even entered my mind uh, thirty six hours ago. Never even entered my mind thirty six hours ago. I mean, yeah, you know, we're, we're the only we're safe. Who cares? I'll get to Rutgers no matter what. Yeah, I mean, but I was like, I looked at this. So today I see Elliot Abrams, and I ask Elliot, he goes, hey, he goes, oh, yeah, no, the weather in Chicago is fine. I said, Elliot, I don't care about the weather in Chicago. I'm talking about getting back in here. I said, I get to Chicago. <laughs> I said, get back here. I said, that's sort of the issue. <laughs> he goes, oh, he says, oh, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thanks, Elliot. Uh, <laughs> not from the man who's been waking us up with weather information for decades. Oh, my goodness. I, I was talking to Elliot. I said, Elliot, come on, man. I said, I said work with me on this. <laughs> so I'm a quarterback club today, and you know they, they mentioned I'm going to be in Cancun next week. And I got, oh. So finally I get up, and I said, let me outline something for you. Said so that you understand. I said, in my 37 years of doing Penn State basketball, my holiday tournaments have been in Hartford, Connecticut, (laughs) Brooklyn, New York. I said, three of them have been in Milwaukee. (laughs) I said, I said, Uncasville, Connecticut. (laughs) I said, I said, and to cap it all off, I said, five memorable days in Casper, Wyoming after Christmas. And everybody's laughing. I said, I said, where the headline in the paper that day was two semis blow over on I-25, <laughs> which that's, that's true. I said, I said, no offense. I've earned my trip to Cancun. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, so by explaining past history, I was able to turn the tide of negativity. Nice. <laughs> so, like, you people seem to get this. <laughs> okay. When I was sitting in Casper and you were sitting at home, <laughs> I said, I was at a holiday tournament. <laughs> and, the, and, those, those, and that turned out to be a disaster. All right. And now, Penn State made the NIT that year, and they won 20 games. But they play Southern Illinois, and we're playing the nightcap. So the game is going on because we're in mountain time. The game is being played at 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning, Eastern time. I mean, I can't even get family to listen. <laughs> and Penn State, Christian Appleman, it's two free throws with seven seconds to go to put Penn State up by three. Southern Illinois inbounds the ball, gets it to midcourt. There's four seconds left. They get the ball to Freddie McSwain, who moves to his right and from midcourt at the circle, just inside the circle at midcourt, banks in a three-point shot for overtime. (laughs) Penn State then loses the game in overtime, has to come back and play at 1 o'clock in the afternoon against Gonzaga. (laughs) Lost the game by six. I'm thinking, this can't go any better. I remember walking to a convenience store. I had to go through the underpass of I-25. I almost got blown over. You're listening to News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury. You can hear us anywhere in the world with the Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation app.